Good morning, everyone. Happy Easter. Uh, if we've not met, my name's Phil, and I'm one of the ministers here at St George North. Uh, it's great to gather with you today. I was a bit worried when we started and Kevin had these two signs out because this side filled up much quicker than that side. So I don't know what that says, that the bad side was stronger. But anyway, uh, perhaps it's people understanding the Christian message, the message that Jesus preached, that we are not good enough for God, but we need his forgiveness. But uh, I'll trust that was why. Let's pray before we look at this part of the Easter story together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the joy it is to be able to meet together to celebrate what Jesus has done for us at the first Easter. And we pray now that as we look at this little story of his crucifixion together, that you'll help us not just to grasp what he was doing, but to grasp what he was doing on our behalf, that he was dying for our sins. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As a family recently, uh, we've uh, been watching some of the new Star Wars shows on Disney. Uh, I am a child of the Star Wars generation and I must admit this has overall been a disappointing experience for me. Uh, the first movie I remember as a child, my mother tells me she took me to see Dot and the Kangaroo, but I don't remember that. The first movie I remember as a child was Star Wars. And from the earliest age, every birthday, every Christmas, I would get Star Wars figures. That's why I wish I had them now. I lost them somewhere, but uh, they'd be worth a lot now. But uh, I have an older brother, and uh, whenever we were playing, whether it was cricket or Star Wars or anything, he got to choose he, who he was first because he was the older brother, and he would always be Luke Skywalker. I would always then be Han Solo. And I think history has proven that my taste was better because, you know, he chose the guy with the whiny voice who went on to nothing else. I chose Harrison Ford, who's a movie star. But anyway... Uh, I think history has proved me right. I wonder though, who did you want to be growing up? Uh, maybe a character in a story you always pretended to be. For you, maybe it was a Disney princess. I'm not one to judge, but you know. Uh, I asked Victoria during the week who she wanted to be, and she said either Liesl from The Sound of Music uh, or Dorothy from, uh, I've just had a mental blank on the name of the movie, The Wizard of Oz. Yes, I had never seen The Wizard of Oz until we got married. Uh, and Victoria made me watch it, just like I made her watch Star Wars. And I had nightmares for weeks. It, it's terrible, that move. It's horrible. But anyway, when you read a story, when you, when you watch a movie, uh, the character you empathise with, I think, says something about you. The, the character you relate to says something. You know, for me, I wanted to be the criminal who's actually good. You know, the rogue who actually turns out to be good. My brother wanted to be the guy with the whiny voice. I don't know. Anyway, but it says something about who you are. It says something about who you want to be. And a good writer or a good actor makes you feel that. They make you that connection for you. They, they get you to, to put yourself in their shoes. Well, with it being Good Friday... Uh, and we read before part of the crucifixion account of Jesus from Luke's gospel. Now, now, Luke was writing history. He's not writing a story. He was writing what happened. It's not a novel or a movie. But as we read it, I wonder if you connected with any of the characters, because uh, I think we're meant to. So let's look at the story together now. It's on your outline, and I want you to think as we look at it, who you connect with. Now understand we're picking up the story late in proceedings. Before this, Jesus has been mocked. He has been whipped. He's been spat upon. Crucifixion was designed to be barbaric, was designed to humiliate the person. Uh, and now Jesus comes to the point of his actual crucifixion and it reaches its lowest ebb. 
So let's start at verse 32. It says, two others, criminals, were also led away to be executed with him. Now, it's really, really important to see this. Jesus was crucified with the dregs of society. Uh, No one had found a legitimate charge against Jesus. Pilate had declared him innocent of all charges. He famously, he washed his hands of the matter, but he didn't have the courage to stand up to the crowds. And so he handed Jesus over to be killed, even though he knew he was innocent. So here is Jesus. He is led out with criminals to be executed. We're not told what these other two men had done here, but probably something very serious. Perhaps they were murderers, robbers, probably insurrectionists, something like that. But here is Jesus effectively declared to be the same as them. It's humiliating. Go on, verse 33. It says, when they arrived at the place called the Skull, is there any you know, more apt name for a place where you go to be executed, the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. Just how matter of fact it is. They arrive at this place, they nail him up with criminals on either side. But then Jesus says one of his most famous things. Look at verse 34. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. I think that is one of the most incredible lines any person has ever said. An innocent man having nails driven through his wrists and through his ankles and he says, please forgive these ones who are doing this to me. And here's the first point where you might be tempted to put yourself in someone else's shoes in the story. Here's the first point where you might empathise with a character. You might think, I might be like Jesus. But the truth is, while I like to think that I might have been like Jesus at that point, the truth is I wouldn't. And the truth is, none of us would have been like Jesus. We would have screamed blue murder as they hammered nails into our our hands and feet. I would have yelled out, there's been a mistake. God's going to judge you. Don't do this. Don't you understand? I'm the son of God. I'll get even with you. I'll, I'll, I'll get back at you. But Jesus doesn't. What he does is he offers grace and he offers forgiveness even to the people tormenting him. But even as he does that, they humiliate him further. They take his clothes And they cast lots for them. They roll dice to see who gets them. It was humiliating. And that takes us to the second group of characters in the story that we might empathise with, and that's what we might call the mockers. See, the humiliation didn't stop there for Jesus. Crucifixion was a public event. People were encouraged to go and watch and are encouraged to yell abuse at the victims. That was part of the deterrent to it. This could happen to you. Uh, It was also a way of showing you were a good citizen. It's a bit like when people go to the football and they yell abuse at the opposite team to prove that they support this team. Uh, And so even as Jesus hangs on the cross, people don't leave him alone. Look at verse 35. The people stood watching and even the leaders kept scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself if this is God's Messiah, the chosen one. This is just the crowd of people watching on, which, which makes it so sad. You know, they've got no skin in this game but they still mock him. It makes me think of people today who love to share their opinions online from behind a computer screen. They love to mock people without anyone having to take account for what they say. Well, here, it's very easy to yell abuse at a man who's nailed to a cross. But even fools and cowards can sometimes say something profound, and that's the beauty of what happened here. Look at what they said again. They said, he saved others, let him save himself if this is God's Messiah. 
They said, hey, Jesus, you talked about a lot. For the last three years, you've gone around telling people about salvation. You're not much of a saviour if you can't even save yourself. And I hope you see the incredible irony in their words there. He could have saved himself. He's the son of God. He could, could have called down a thousand angels to come and take him down from that cross. But if he did that, if he saved himself, well, then he would not have saved others. He wouldn't have saved them or he wouldn't have saved us because it was precisely by his death that Jesus was paying the price for our salvation. In his death, Jesus was taking the punishment of God that we deserved upon himself. That was the irony. To be the saviour, to be God's Messiah, Jesus had to die. To save others, he couldn't save himself. The Roman soldiers then joined in mocking Jesus. They put an inscription above his head. If you look there, it's in caps. It says, this is the king of the Jews. And you can see what they were doing. On the one hand, it was a political message to the Jewish people. If you dare to oppose Caesar, if you dare to oppose Rome, this is what happens to you. But it was also just mockery. They were just making fun of Jesus. They said, you call this guy a king? Look at him. He's a naked Jewish man hanging on a cross. But again, they didn't realise what they were saying. There's an incredible irony in it, and I hope you see it. He was doing what God promised his king would do all along. We read one of the promises of the Old Testament before in Isaiah 53. A thousand years earlier, the Old Testament had talked about what God's saviour would do and how he would suffer. So they thought they were mocking him. But actually, they were saying something profound. They were saying to anyone there with eyes to see, here is your king, but he is a king unlike any other. Most kings lord it over people. Most kings will do anything to stay in power. Here is the real king. Here is the son of God who loves the world so much that he's willing to die for you. That's a king worth believing in. That's a king worth following. But of course, they didn't see the irony. And so the humiliation just carried on. Even one of the criminals crucified next to him joined in in the taunts, yelling abuse at him. But again, we think that's not us, is it? We don't like to paint ourselves as those characters. But in a way, every one of us is represented by these mockers in the story. We might mock God and mock Jesus openly, but every person has certainly failed to honour God as we should. Every one of us has failed to stand up for the weak and the oppressed. Every one of us has failed to love our neighbour as we love ourselves. Be very, very careful not to stand in judgement over these people in this story because we have to ask if we would have been any different if we were there that morning. But there was one person in the story who didn't join in and it's one of the least likely of people it wasn't one of Jesus' disciples because they'd all run for the hills. They'd all deserted Jesus. It was the criminal crucified on the other side of Jesus. And you can just imagine the scene. There's Jesus in the middle. On the one side, there's a guy who, even as he hangs on the cross, yells abuse at the man dying next to him. But then the criminal on the other side stops and thinks. Matthew's story uh, suggests that he'd actually started off abusing Jesus as well and seemed to have a, a, a change of heart. Maybe it was what Jesus said about forgiveness that, that made him change his mind. But in any event, he alone, of everyone there, stopped and stepped in for Jesus. And so he calls out to the other criminal, don't you get it? 
Don't you fear God? You know, can't you see we're getting what we deserve? This man doesn't deserve what's happening to him. And then he turns to Jesus and he says something incredibly profound. Look at verse 42. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Do you see what he's saying? He alone of everyone there is saying, Jesus, you are the king. Jesus, you are the king. The sign above your head is right. You are God's son. And even though I don't deserve it, please remember me. Please include me in your kingdom. See, every other person that day mocked Jesus. Every person there mocked the idea that Jesus could be a king, that he could offer salvation. But this criminal says, Jesus, please save me. Don't take me down from this cross, because frankly, I deserve what I'm getting. But give me something better. Give me forgiveness. Give me a hope that goes beyond the grave. Give me a place in your kingdom. Give me what we've come to call eternal life. And Jesus' answer is one of the most wonderful verses in the Bible, I think. Look at verse 43. And Jesus said to him, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus says, today you have a place in my kingdom. Jesus is saying to this man, I do forgive you, I offer you salvation, I offer you eternal life. I started off by asking who we think we are, who we empathise with in this story, and I hope it is obvious who God wants you to be in this story. God wants us to be like this criminal, because he alone does what every person should do when we meet Jesus. He alone does what every person should do when we hear about Jesus. He recognises who Jesus is. Jesus is God's King, the Son of God, the only one who can offer eternal life. And how much more should we recognise who Jesus is? Because we, we didn't, weren't just there on the first Good Friday. We live after Easter Sunday. We live after Jesus has risen from the dead and been declared with power by God to be his son. We have the eyewitness accounts in the Bible. We have it so much better than this man. Surely we should recognise him. But the second thing this man does is he recognises his own sin and his own failure. He doesn't try to say to Jesus, yes, I'm a criminal, but, but remember me because I went to church and loved my mother. He doesn't say, hey, Jesus, yes, I'm a criminal, but you have to understand there's reasons I had a tough upbringing. God is not impressed by people who think they can earn their way into paradise or, or people who try to justify their sin. God is impressed by people who recognise they don't deserve eternal life and so come to him humbly and seek his forgiveness. See, unless we admit that we have not honoured God as he deserves, unless we admit that we haven't lived to please him, that we haven't loved other people like he wants us to, unless we do that, there is no hope. See, there will be plenty of self-righteous people who are surprised when Jesus returns. There will be plenty of religious people who will be surprised when Jesus returns because they thought what they were doing was impressing God. But no, God wants people like this criminal. People who recognise our sin, recognise our failing and then ask Jesus for forgiveness. And that's what this man did. He placed his trust in Jesus. And so we are meant to ask at the end of this story, is this me? Have I recognised who Jesus is? Have I admitted my own sin and failure? And have I turned to Jesus for forgiveness and for hope? 
And I hope you see why that last sentence of Jesus is so wonderful and so profound. Look at it again. Today, you will be with me in paradise. See, it's so profound because it is a message of pure grace. This man had no time to impress God with his religion. This man had no time to try to do some good to outweigh all the bad that he'd done. He just had time to turn to Jesus and trust in him. And so the question of Good Friday is always the same one. Have we turned to Jesus and trusted in him like this man? I pray that you have. And if you haven't, I pray that you take some time this Easter to consider Jesus and turn to him like this man did. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the first Good Friday. We thank you that Jesus did not stand on his rights, that he did not say, I don't deserve to die. But instead, he was willing, the one innocent man who's ever lived, he was willing to die to take the punishment we deserve. But we thank you for this other man in the story and for the way he shows us the right response to Jesus, to recognise our sin and failings and then turn to Christ and find hope. And we pray that every person here knows Jesus like this man knew Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.